congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, in Psalm 43, David asks the Lord, why must I go about mourning oppressed by the enemy? In John 9, the disciples asked Jesus why the man was blind. They gave two options for an answer they formulated. Did he sin or was it his parents? In the psalm, David didn't get an answer. In John 9, the disciples gave the Lord their answer. One why question was acceptable. The other why questions brought the disciples into the wrong direction. What is this why question? How does it fit into the life of believers? Now among people, and you could think your own lives as well, the question why is asked in two occasions. First, case, why is asked when we ask a recognized authority why something is the way it is because we desire to learn more. Students who ask why their physics teacher uses a certain equation to come to his answer can then learn for themselves the reasoning behind a certain course of action and so they are able to become good physicists themselves. It's a good use of the question, why? Sometimes the question, why, can, is used to discover another person's reasons for doing something because we actually doubt their authority. We doubt their ability. We're seeking to judge them. In addition to seeking an explanation that might justify particular behavior, why is asked as a form of complaint or whining, or as a way of showing dissatisfaction with a situation. Why does it need to be this way? The why question often comes when a person's authority is not recognized as being better than our own. Usually we ask why when we are confident that it is possible to understand and to judge what has happened. And unless it is specified otherwise, the answer to the why question must be answered to our own satisfaction before we will trust another person. What are we seeking when we ask God why he does something? Sometimes it is because we don't trust what he is doing. We need to see his justification for what we are experiencing. Other times, in the case of the disciples, like in John 9, we are eager to find a place to put the blame for an experience. Often it is believed in, in people's minds that God is answerable to us, He is accountable to us for, for all that He does. All God's actions must pass the screening and the analysis of man and so we ask, why, God, is this happening to me? And today, as we look at our confession, we notice that we do not begin with explanations of why things happen. But we begin by confessing who brings all things to us. Trust begins 
with this question of who. If we believe what God has revealed about Himself, if we believe what He says about who He is, this then helps us to deal with our various experiences. In our catechism, we confess that trust in our Father begins with who rather than why. We confess, and you see that in the, in the beginning of the second paragraph, in Him, in Him, in whom? In the one who was described in the first part of the catechism as He revealed Himself in His Word. In God the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. In Him I trust so completely as to have no doubt. And I preach to you the Gospel of Jesus Christ under the following theme that trust begins with who and not why. We trust our Creator, our Provider, and our Protector. If it is important to know who God is, then we must go to Scripture where God reveals to us who He is. And if you open your Bible to the very beginning, Genesis 1, verse 1, you will see that the first thing we learn about God is that He created the heavens and the earth. Children have this text memorized. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There's no proof given that God really exists. There's no attempt to squeeze all the perfections of God into that opening sentence. The first thing we are told about God is that He created the heavens and the earth. And that verb to create when it is used with God as subject means to, to bring something forth out of nothing. In Genesis 1, this awesome work is shown in all its power. We read verse 3, and God said. Verse 6, and God said. And, and things were. God spoke and they were. God created light. God created the light bearers. God created the sky above and He created water that was separated from dry ground below. And from what He had called into being, we see that God formed many more things. The land produced vegetation. The water teemed with living creatures. The land produced animals, each according to their kind. So believers not only defend that God created all things, but at the same time, as we, we live our lives in this world, we look around at, at all there is to see. We enjoy His work of creation all around us. Every believer can confess with joy as they walk around and as they study nature. They can confess with joy and amazement that it is my Father who created that hummingbird with wings that beat a hundred times a minute. My Father created that blue whale that can grow to 30 meters, 100 feet in length, can weigh over 200 tons while feeding on the smallest crustaceans, deriving most of its nourishment from marine organism that can be only a few millimeters in length. My Father creates all that. It was God the Father who ordained that, that only the female mosquito would bite us because she needs his blood to nourish her eggs. A bat eats 
between 300 to 3,000 insects per night. We read, we study, we say, praise the Lord, creation. Whom do we trust? My Father, who created mountains as high as 29,028 feet above sea level, Mount Everest. Trees that live hundreds of years. My Father, who sends thousands of lightning bolts to the earth every minute, who brings hurricanes that send nations in an uproar, and who also made me and you. Yes, when we look to our bodies and, and learn about the intelligent design manifest therein, we can only echo the words of the psalmist, fearfully and wonderfully made. All creation, including our own bodies, are a wonderful testimony of the majesty of our Father. There's more for us than what we see with our eyes. We have His Word that tells us that all things that we see in, in heavens and earth have been created out of nothing by God. What does creation reveal about the Creator? The Creator that, that we say we believe in every time we confess our faith in the Apostles' Creed. In the act of creation, we see the attributes of His omnipotence, almighty power. His perfection, His justice, His wisdom, His precision, His planning, His understanding, His knowledge, His glory, His splendor, and His majesty. And in the continuation of creation, as we also confess, we see a God who is faithful to upholding and governing His creation. We see that more yet in our confession in Lord's Day 10. A God who is concerned both with the small things and, and the large things. The mosquito and the mountain, the bat and the blue whale, the lightning bug and the lightning, the atom and the atom. In whom do I trust? My Father in heaven, who is also my creator. In revealing this part of the gospel, our confession in, in Lord's Day 9, it, it's quite exultant. There is much pride, there is much joy when we confess who our Father is. That, that pride and that thankfulness in our confession is, is similar to a child who, who tells his friend about his father. The old my daddy story. He can fix everything in the house. He loves mommy dearly. He buys me things that I need because he works so hard. He can lift anything in our whole yard. That's who my daddy is. Now, in our confession, we speak in the same way. But it is because we have every reason, every confirmation of such confidence. After confessing that God is the mighty creator of heaven and earth and, and expanding on his complete work with respect to creation in general terms, we confess that my creator, the one who created me and, and all heaven and all earth, he is my God and my Father. Whom? Do I trust? The Christian will answer the God who created heaven and earth. The God who created me. Because of Christ, his son, my maker, is also my father. He understands me completely. He knows my needs. Brothers and sisters, when you live with this confession of who your God is, foremost in your mind, and you compare that to the situations that, 
that you face in your life where you are required to, to trust in God. Remember, your God is the one who has made all things. He also can see you in your difficult situation. The Bible does not command us to put our trust in a mountain or a rock or in money or in our own abilities. The Bible commands us to put our trust in the living creator of heaven and earth. The creator who has become my God, my Father, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Once it has been established that our Father is the one who has created the heavens and the earth, we, we further confess in Lord's Day 9 that we can trust Him to provide us with all things necessary for body and soul. When we are faced with tough questions that lead us to ask God why, we must first be reminded of who it is that we are speaking to. Who are we trusting in? And we confess every time again when we sing that Apostles' Creed or we speak the Apostles' Creed that we believe in God the Father, Almighty Creator of heaven and earth to provide us then with everything necessary for body and soul. The confession explains to us what we need provided for us. And it is good to notice here, as we also do when we look at the Lord's Prayer, that our confession, the Reformed faith, is not skimpy in providing the details of what we need. We have needs in both our body and in our soul. We need to have food to eat, a shelter to live in, clothes to wear, means to, to get these things. We also need to have forgiveness for the many sins we commit. We need a renewed relationship with God, reconciliation with our Creator, continual guidance throughout our lives. Now in Mark 2, when the Lord Jesus healed the paralyzed man who was let down through the roof, the Lord Jesus recognized the twofold need of mankind. He made this clear by first telling the cripple that his sins were forgiven. Now sharing our tendency to diminished the importance of our spiritual need. The, the Pharisees grumbled at the Lord Jesus' words. And, and then to display the authority of the Son of Man and the completeness of the love and provision of God, the Lord Jesus also fulfilled the man's physical needs, saying to him, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. You can read that in Mark chapter 2. We have both physical and spiritual needs. Many without God spend their lifetimes trying to, to have these needs met. What they do not realize, however, is that we cannot trust any creature to provide us with what we need for our body and our soul. We could think, for example, of, of our health. Often we are led to put our trust in, in medical personnel to ensure our health. But if we take a moment to think about it, we realize how many diseases there are in the world, how many are incurable. We realize how doctors, too, will stare at a disease as a problem and try to discover exactly what would be the best treatment dealing with symptoms. And although many of us have experienced successful fixes in our valves and in our organs, 
Even in these cases, the, the risks are acknowledged by the doctor to be very great. Any person can die at any time from uncertainties. So we see, as we all know, if you put our trust in humankind, even the professionals of a field, we will still be met with doubts. Their provision is shallow. We could say the same for our material goods. No person has ultimate control over his or her material goods. A war, a catastrophe, a, a loss in the value of money, all these things can leave us stranded without warm clothes and homes and scrounging for food. And if we have our eyes open and we look around the society we live in, we can see that exact thing happening. Yes, we live in a very wealthy society. We cannot even imagine these things. We, we must realize that also for us, it is something that could happen. It's a fact of life. And yet the believer does not need to be worried. With God, all this changes. For we see that our God has provide, promised to provide us with everything we need for body and soul. That is what we confess. The one who made the heavens and the earth is also my provider. You see the Lord Jesus making this parallel explanation also in Matthew 6 when he, he tells the people to look at the birds, of the, uh, the birds of the air and the flowers of the field. Compare that creation to how God cares for you. His provision will last through wars or depression, through persecution, or illness. Who, in whom do we trust? God Almighty, the provider. We can think many things in our lives that show His lasting provision for us. We can see it in the covenant promises that He pours out upon our children. Our Father in Heaven has sent His only Son to earth to die for our sins, to obtain for us victory over death and suffering. Our triune God has secured the forgiveness of sins and everlasting life for all who believe in Him. God has richly provided for our lives. God has richly provided for our physical lives as well. The riches, the luxuries we enjoy in Canada, in this Fraser Valley, they are luxuries that are enjoyed by only a very few in the world. Even when we are sick, we are able to see that, that God has granted us great many levels of support. We can just drive down the road and go to a hospital, receive expert medical attention. When we sit down and we count our blessings, we are led with unwavering boldness to proclaim God has provided us with all that we need for body and soul. And so we see again God's mercy and God's compassion. He does not punish us according to our sins. But in His mercy, He has provided us salvation and life in His only Son, Jesus Christ. He does not leave us without food or clothing or shelter, but in His compassion, He gives our weak and frail bodies all that they need to worship Him. Who is it that we are trusting in? Not only an almighty and completely able Creator, but also, as we confess, a willing, faithful 
Father. Whom are we trusting in? Who may we call our God and our Father? It is a beautiful confession we have before us. My, my trust, my faith is in the Almighty God who is able to help me. And my faithful Father who is willing to help me. I trust in my provider. I trust that through my life of sorrows He will watch over me. We see that in our third point that we trust in our protector. Notice in our catechism that it touches on one more aspect of God that we should understand, first of all, that we should keep near to us when we are struggling with difficult questions. We confess that God will also turn to my good whatever adversity He sends me in this life of sorrow. We read that sentence again, that sentence of our confession. Do you realize what we are confessing in the sentence? In the first place, yes, we are confessing that our life is a life of sorrow. But notice how we describe the sorrow. We describe it by saying that the sorrow is a result of the adversity that God sends us in this life. The adversity that we experience, the, the broken limbs, the, the doubting heart, the disobedient, the wandering children, the illness, the financial strain, the, the broken spirit, the consequences of sin, the trials, the setbacks. The adversity is adversity that God has permitted to come our way. Whatever adversity He sends me in this life of sorrow. Of course, we cannot see it any other way. If we believe that God is sovereign in wisdom and power, then only He could have allowed this adversity to come our way. But that's an amazing sentence for us to read. A beautiful nugget in our confessions. How our perspective is changed when we view life with this starting point. In the second place, we must realize that a believer will simply trust that God will turn adversity to our good. The question, why me? Why, why do I have to endure this? Was, if that question was first and foremost, then such a confession and, and such a statement of trust could not be made. In fact, when a person begins with the question why, it is exactly the opposite starting point than what God has required of us. When we begin dealing with our adversity by asking, oh, unfair God, why does this have to happen to me? Then all of a sudden, our situations and our experiences are seen through our limited vision. We become the measuring stick of what is right and acceptable. How can we truly trust a God whom we have placed below ourselves like some sort of servant set there to meet all our demands. You know, as believers, when we are faced with hardships, we begin by saying, who brought this around? Who sent this adversity to me? And the answer, again, is a beautiful, extremely comforting answer. My God and my Father sent it to me with a promise. A promise to turn this adversity to my good. Do you see how God protects you? 
He does not do it by ensuring that nothing comes your way, but by turning adversity to your good, as we confess so clearly. This teaches us then that how we react in the midst of our trials is, is very important. In all the struggles that you face in your life, focus on your perspective. Focus on the questions that you ask. Are you challenging God with, with disbelieving and, and undercutting why questions? Do we always have the right to know why? Would reasons really satisfy us? Or do they simply put us in a position to judge God instead? Could we really understand the workings of God? Do you imply by your questions that you know better than God what is good for you? Is it possible that while we are on earth, we may not know the why for difficult situations? The one we talk to, the one we believe, the one we trust. Is God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth? When we read in Scripture, and we do read it in Scripture many times, that we must trust in the Lord. So many Psalms say, trust in the Lord, O Israel. Trust in the Lord, you His children. The first step is to remember and confess whom it is that we are trusting in. When you say, when you confess, I believe in God the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth, you are saying that you do not ever need to doubt Him because of who He is. It is good that Scripture reveals who God is when it teaches us to trust in Him. So when we face adversity in this life, begin with this question, this confession, first of all. My Father, who has created the heavens and the earth by a word, who has provided for my soul and my body all these years up to this time with countless temporary and even, even eternal blessings, who has promised to bring His loving will even through adversity, He is with me. He sees my need. When I put my trust in Him, I do not need to doubt. There is no reason to doubt because we know who God is. He is greater than my problems. He carries out His eternal counsel. He blesses me with His providential care. We will trust in Him. Well, it leaves one question. Are we to conclude then that there is no room for the question why? on the lips of believers. Uh, we can see that if we ask the question why with the intention, with the spirit that, that God must give an account of His actions to us before we will trust in Him, that is not right. Trust does not begin with why. The disciples were looking for a reason for the blindness of the man in John 9. And the Lord Jesus gave the answer. The answer is found in who God is. The answer is found in who God is. The work of God may be, might be displayed in His life. That is what the Lord Jesus answered His disciples. This catastrophe was, was in the hands of the Lord as well 
was given as every adversity is given to the the further glory of God. Yet at the same time, we see in Psalm 43 that there may be a time when, when a believer who understands the sovereignty of God that He is the mighty Creator of heaven and earth, that that He looks to the Lord and and, and asks, why? We read the whole psalm, and we see the context of this why question is fit in that confession of who. Notice the order, Psalm 43. First, the humble and submissive, submissive confession Verse 2a, you are God, my stronghold. And then we see that the why question, why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? And then before an answer is heard, a confession again that God will be active for the good of the believer. Send forth your light and your truth. Let them guide me. And at the end of the song again, put your hope in God for I will yet praise Him. Sometimes we may learn why. Sometimes we may see that good has come out of an adversity. Sometimes we may conclude that these trials brought about perseverance, stronger faith in our lives, just as it is promised to us in Scriptures. Brothers and sisters, sometimes we may not know exactly why. This reminds us that although God may show us why He does things, it is never in our place to to demand that He give reasons for His actions. We must trust His wisdom. That is a part of that first line of our confession in the Apostles' Creed. I believe. I believe in God, the Father, Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in my Father who made all things. The Word of God in Isaiah makes this clear. And I'm reading then some verses from Isaiah 45, verses 9, 11, and 12. Woe to him who quarrels with his Maker, to him who is but a potsherd among the potsherds on the ground. Does the clay say to the potter, what are you making? Does your work say, he has no hands? This is what the Lord says, the Holy One of Israel and its Maker. Concerning things to come, do you question me about my children? Or give me orders about the work of my hands? It is I who made the earth and created mankind upon it. Trust begins with knowing who your God is. And God's answer to us when we are faced with difficult situations is the same. I am God, your creator. I made the earth and created mankind upon it. We trust in Him. Because He revealed to us who He is. Our Creator, our Provider, our Protector. Amen.